episode 79 of the Thunder Underground podcast is here. My name's Trent, and this is Jason. Hello, hello. Hello. Kirk Winstein is back. He's here for, yeah, he's here for for, uh, part two, or, you know, the second installment, I guess you would say. Yeah, we had him on last year, I think it was November. Yeah. It was actually our most successful episode as far as listens have gone, so. That's right. Thanks to everybody listening, and of course, coming back now, because... Who doesn't want to hear Kirk Winstein talk some more? Yeah, you always want to hear that. And uh, we got a couple of the other guys involved this time, too. Yeah, Tommy Buckley, the drummer, and Matt Brunson, the guitarist from Crowbar, also chimed in about some stuff, and it's all good stuff. Yeah, definitely. And we had the chance here. This was, we actually recorded this a little over a week ago. Mm -hmm. We went to Oklahoma City. Crowbar was doing a headlining gig at Thunder Alley. And the night before, they kicked off this tour they're doing now with uh, Carcass. Yeah. And who else is on it? Uh, uh, Ghoul. N- Night Demon. Yes. And the One Foot in the Grave Tour, which is currently going on. Kick-ass lineup of metal. But we caught the, their first one-off show right before that went and excited because I don't think I've ever seen a Crowbar headline show. No, and in a place, Always... uh, intimate place like that was great. Yeah. yeah. Like every time I'd seen it, it had been open for somebody. Yeah. Or, you know, saw him way back with Pantera and, you know, hey. So, yeah, quite a quite a privilege and honor just yeah. to be able to see that. You know, not only see that and, then of course, get to sit down with him and talk to him again. Oh, definitely. But we went to the show and got out there early to check out a couple of the opening bands because, you know, there was a couple there that we definitely want to see. One of which was Archon, who we've spoke about a couple times now. Because this, I guess, is the third time we've seen him in the last few months. Yeah. They're getting on a lot of these shows, and rightfully so. Oh, yeah. These guys slay. Yeah. They're just, uh, they got this heavy as hell sound that's just perfect that can, uh, a perfect sound that can cross into different paths. You know, like they open for Active Defiance, you know, with the guys from Megadeth and Shadows Fall. That's like, you know, more streamlined metal than Crowbar is obviously your Doom Sludge Stoner style thing, and they fit perfectly. Yeah, it still works. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys are just, you know, exceptional musicians. It's just straight up balls out heavy metal. And that's what, hey, if you love heavy metal, yeah. there's no way you cannot love Archon. Yeah, and, and Andy is an insane guitar player. Uh, he just does all this balls out shit. And he does like the, he does the, the tapping like nobody I've ever seen, like seriously. The way he just holds his fingers with his like, he, he uses his pinky and his middle finger on his right hand. And I mean, it's just nuts. I mean... Uh, but at the same time, he's got the soul and the balls, you know, too. So, I mean, I just love watching that guy play. We got to see him last night, too, by the way. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole other story altogether, <laughs> though. You'll hear about that soon. <laughs> but, yeah, we hung out, you know, and talked to him for quite a bit last night, too, at another show. And just an awesome dude, as well as being an awesome guitarist. Yeah, yeah, definitely. After that, we saw, and if you, hey, if you want to hear Archon, go back to our Chris Broderick episode. Yeah. A few episodes ago, we play an Archon track, so check that out. We also saw Smoke Offering. Yes, and, yes. And I think the last time we saw him live was with Crowbar as well. Yeah, I think They so. played Oklahoma City at the Farmer's Market. They opened up for Crowbar and then we're opening up for Soulfly, mm-hmm. as well as Insight, who we've also had on the podcast. Yes. And speaking of Smoke Offering, we've had... Kyle and Kenny from Smoke Offering on the podcast, and as well as uh, 
Well, Lola was in the band at yeah. that time. She was, she was on there. there for a little bit. And then know? the rest of the guys from Kyle's other band, Forever and Disgust, were on. That was a joint episode with all those. It was a cool one because it's the biggest one we've ever done as yes. far as the amount of people involved. I think with us two and them, it was nine or ten people. Yeah, and it worked. Yeah. And on that episode, we played a, a smoke offering track. And guess what? We're going to play one right now. I think that's a great idea. Because it's been a while. I think we're due time. Yeah. And these guys are badass, so check this track out. This is Smoke Offering, Bottle with a Handle. Oh, 
Bottle with a handle from Smoke Offering. Once again, very glad to be playing these guys again. It was awesome as hell to see them live again. Yeah, definitely. It's just this whole, th you know, all their songs, you know, just have guitar riffs that fucking groove for days on end. It's like, you know, we're talking about Kirk Winstein. This is like what he's, you know, one of the legends of riffing. And, yeah. And, you know, he would hear this and love it, love it and be proud of it. Pepper Keenan would hear this and think it was great. You know, this is yeah. how good this stuff is. And I can't speak highly enough about how much I love Smoke Offering. They're just like perfect, you know, straight up stoner rock metal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I'm just so proud these guys are from Tulsa. And, you know, this is uh, what I want more people to realize. And they just have a great sound. They've got a great vibe. Uh, Kyle just, I mean, everything, everything in his lyrics and in his vo vocals is just passion. He really feels it. And he just, I mean, it's the true, genuine article with that guy and you know we got to talk to him for a while you know and uh it's just uh we're really fortunate to to you know uh, to combine forces with these guys i mean it's just awesome yeah and he's as well as passion in the music and lyrics just as a front man in the live setting as well yeah yeah he definitely. really commands a crowd and you know gets people into it and you know does it justice yeah, definitely. And uh, they did they did a couple Black Sabbath songs. Uh, our yeah. buddy Trevor A. Tree went with us. Yes. And he was digging the Black Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was awesome, too, that, uh, you know, he had never seen Crowbar before. So, I mean, it was just a good night all around. Well, also, no, we also we talked to Kyle for quite a bit mm -hmm. after, after they played, hung out outside yeah. talking to him, which was great. And he talked about some stuff he's got going on that we'll talk about soon enough when he announces it. And yeah. Then, um, we also talked to Kenny, the drummer, for a little bit. Yeah, we and did. I know you mentioned that you really love the drums on this song. Yeah, I love the. I just love the the little drum roll and the. It's so different, and it just uh, it really really pops and stands out. I love it. Yeah, and this yeah just if you get a chance to see these guys live, you know, do it. They don't they don't play a ton, but you know, because they all got other stuff going on. But if you get the chance, you won't regret it. Yeah, know? and it makes makes when they do play that much more special. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and think of it. We've seen him in Oklahoma City twice, and yeah. I've, I don't think I've seen him in Tulsa. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've seen I know. him forever and discussed a couple times here, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the subject of the day is Kirk Winstein, and like we said, he's back here for the second time, and just like the first time, he couldn't have been more accommodating. <clears throat> yes. The whole, not just him, you know. The whole his, crowbar camp. Yeah, his, his wife, Robin, the whole, every band member. They're just exceptional people. Yeah. And you can't say, you know, I mean, we've done this now for over a year and we've ran across, most everybody's been cool. Yeah. But every once in a while you run across someone that just treats you like, you know, you've known them for 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And, or, or it's like they're treated, they're, they treat you like they're here for you instead of we're here for them. Right. And that just goes such a long way. And I mean, you know, he he's so, uh, the whole camp is just so accessible and they're so thankful. I, I, I think... One of the, you, what you'll hear in the interview is in the middle of the interview, there's a knock on the bus and it's just like two guys, you know, with their demo and they said, Hey, you know, we wanted right. to give you this and Kirk, Kirk answered the door, answered the door himself. You know, we want to give you this demo cause you know, we can't, we can't stay for the show. We've got our own show. And you know, Kirk took the demo and gave him a few minutes of his time. And I mean, not everybody does that. And that stuff is really special. It really is. Yeah. 
and we, like I mentioned, Robin, you know, we'd met up with her before Kirk, you know, and, you know, he was busy before we got do the interview and she stood out there and talked to us for like 10 minutes and yeah. she's just, you know, just like him. Just yeah. A, a great person. And it's just, you know, not to keep rambling on about it, but that's <laughs> just, it's just nice, you know, in this day and age, you know, to run across that. And I think you've mentioned a few times, like Dave Olson said that, you know, we're, yeah, we're definitely. at the point now where people, you know, understand that, you know, you just need to be cool. It's not be like, cool. exactly. Not like Kirk had to realize that he's always been that way, but you know, yeah. just in general, it's good that, this is happening, right? Yeah, it's 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 only gonna it's only gonna help the whole the whole metal and rock uh, community just kind of come back stronger. Is these positive attitudes really? Okay, and when we get into this, one of the first things that we, or I think it's probably the first thing we talk about, was the fact that Matt Thomas was there. Yeah, who is the I don't know if he's the original guitarist, but he was there during their their rise in the nineties. Yeah, and. You know, he lives in Oklahoma City now, so he just came out to the show to say hi. And, you know, and it kind of worked out the fact that Todd Strange is back now for the first time in 16, 17 years. And Kirk said this is the first time all three of them had been together yeah. since 96. That's great. And, you know, that's kind of, that's when we first got there. That's who he was over there talking to. So it was kind of cool yeah. to see that. And and then I think during the interview, he came by and said bye. So it's kind of a, you know, a neat thing to just be able to be there and see firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, kind of some history coming back full circle. Yeah. <laughs> and like we mentioned earlier, last time we did this, um, Matt and Matt Brunson and Tommy Buckley were both there. Mm-hmm. But they were just kind of watching football, doing their own thing. Yeah. But this time they were both in there as well. And Tommy got involved in the conversation a few times. And then Matt did, I think, during the talk about streaming music yeah, and stuff. Spotify and, yeah. but And Tommy had some great stuff to say about Kiss. Kiss and Night Ranger and everything. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, kind of cool to be able to get, you know, three-fourths of Crowbar mixed up on this one as well. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to hearing this back. Yeah, yeah. Very fortunate. Yeah. So, let's just quit wasting time and let's get to it. Here's Kirk Winstein from Crowbar. Okay. Yeah. So he lives That was there. the first. Yeah, he's been here yeah. for 20 years. He, he actually, he left um, New Orleans. His wife was originally from here. And um, they just got a divorce recently, like in the last year or two. They got two kids. But he, they took over the family business. He's been here since 96. So it's, it's weird because we just got uh, Sexy T back in the band. Yeah. And me, Robin took a picture of me, Matt, and, and T. We haven't been in the same room together in 20 years. That's yeah. Is that a little surreal? Probably. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Matt's such a great guy. He's yeah. really nice. But he, when he quit, he quit. I mean, he doesn't. He hasn't played guitar, anything. He just got. Now he's an attorney. So, uh, so there wasn't there wasn't bad blood or anything. It's just oh, not at all. Yeah. He, it was kind of like we were all fine. You know? It's like man, he's like, if I don't do this right now, I'm gonna want to stab myself in five years. And my wife was like, you know, look, my parents want us to take over. The business, which is an I thirty five imports uh, okay. car thing, so he was all always in the cars and all anyway. 
So uh, he had a Porsche like right, way back then, you know. And so they started doing, you know, that, that was business for a while. He, he was an auction buyer. He got his license for all that. He traveled all around buying cars. He goes to the Indy 500. He's all in the Formula One stuff and all. So now he was like, I guess, with, you know, with the business, with his wife, I guess, owns it now because it was her family's original. And I'm guessing, but he went, he's an attorney now. Yeah. But he's got a 12 year old and a 15 year old kids. Yeah. I mean, I think everything's fine with him and his wife. You know, yeah. It just, it's weird because I, I saw his girlfriend and I'm like, I haven't seen her in like 20 something years. And she was from New Orleans. I'm like, well, I recognize her and I'm like, wait a minute. This chick's from New Orleans. Or some, you know, somewhere in Louisiana. And a little bit ago, Robin noticed and she's like, I know you. And she's like, yeah, I'm, you know, Becky or whatever. And then I thought about it and I'm like, well, what's she doing in? And, and she's like, that, you know, like I say, reconnected or something. They used to date years ago. It's crazy because me and Robin kind of dated like 30 years ago. Okay. You know, and, and we were always friends. We never anything real serious. Never any, you know, for bad fallout. Another way, I was remained like really good friends. And then the timing was just right. It was like, I asked her to marry me drunk first fucking day. She, she's like, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we didn't make it official then, but we started talking about it the first date. I'm like, you know, well, you know what? She's like, I don't want to grow old, old alone. I'm like, me either. You know, like, it just, it just moved, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's kind of random, but... You know you're competing with Night Ranger tonight for ticket sales. Oh, Night Ranger! <laughs> I'm actually a big fan, but uh, I think we got different crowds. <laughs> I know that's what I was gonna say. I know most people would be like, "Well, who cares?" But I would love to see both of you guys on the same bill. Uh, I'd love to see Night Ranger. I actually saw them right when they started with this Sister Christian or whatever. It was really getting big. I saw them right by Tommy's old house and shit. On that tour back. Tommy, when when did when did Night Ranger play on Saving Art City? That was in like. 84? Eight, yeah, it was like 84, something like that, 85. Was yeah. Like, I couldn't go, bro. I had to go to drum lessons that night. I was fucking still taking drum lessons. Marching out. <laughs> no, well, I was, I was going to Ray Francis. I was I had a private fucking teacher. Yeah. So I went every fucking Monday at 7 o'clock. Store closed at like 7. So I went, I was like the first student after I was. Yeah. So I go every fucking Monday, once a week, you know, 7 to 7.30, and concert just happened to be on a Monday. Yeah. So, couldn't go, dude. I'm trying to get out of fucking so many drum lessons, dude. I'd be like, oh, man, I want to go see fucking Lillian Axe and Night Ranger. I want to go see fucking... I want to go see Except and Dio and Keel. I'm like, no, no. You ain't fucking canceling out. I'm like, fuck. My mom would never let me cancel out, dude. But it was all right when my, when my fucking teacher canceled out. He called me back, look, just can't do it tonight, you know? I got some other shit going on, yeah. but... Yeah, dude, I missed that gig. Yeah. I missed the Night Ranger gig. Well, yeah, we saw them, and I was like... Uh, dude, Brian Gillis just speaking yeah. of devil, huh, bro? Yeah. yeah. Dude, that dude's so on fire, bro. That, 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 that. Yeah. It's like, they're pretty good, actually. Yeah. They're good. So this first tour starts tomorrow. Yes. That's pretty cool, uh... First lineup, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think those those packages to me work best. Like we've done, you know, in the past we've done tours together with like Suffocation. We we supported more than eight, right? Like eleven ish. Um, and it works out great because it kind of brings like I mean I asked um, David Vince and myself like well, why did you pick 
crowbar. You know, he goes, to be honest with you, I'm sick of having, you know, 20 bands that sound exactly like Morbid Angel yeah. play before we come on and everybody's ears are shot and the crowd's already yeah. smoked. You know, it was just Morbid Angel, Crowbar, and maybe one local. And he goes, I want, he goes, y'all are heavy as fuck, so you, but we're completely different styles of music and it works together as a package. Same thing with us in Suffocation. It worked out great. You know, we flip-flopped some nights headline and they flip-flopped headline or whatever and it was a great package. It was two very heavy styles of music completely different so yeah yeah I um, can't imagine it'd be too different crowd because that's just I mean the thing mo- most yeah. people like I mean we're you know known for you know, you know the heavy slower stuff and whatever but it's still fucking heavy you know, it's brutal in it's own way so most people you know appreciate it even if you're into the you know a more technical you know uh, death metal or whatever type man yeah. you know um I don't think we cross over much like into the black metal type stuff, but uh, <laughs> we've always done well with um, hardcore bands, death metal bands, whatever, in the past, you know, supporting our headline and packages and stuff. So, Carpus thing should be great. Yeah. Both band, both you guys and them have always had that kind of underground following, too. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're obviously, you know, a, a bigger band, but they've, uh, it's kind of, I mean, they've been around a long time as a legendary band, so, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to it. Well, you mentioned Todd coming back. Like, so how did that all come about? Whenever you guys were looking for a bass player, um, or knew you needed another bass player, like what that? happened was we've been me and Robin started hanging out with him like at least about a year ago, maybe more. And uh, just you know, we started kind of rekindling our friendship. When he left, it was never any bad blood. It was just he went his way, and I went my way, or we went our way, whatever. So we started hanging out with him, and he, he was like, "Yeah, man, I'm playing and all that." And, you know, just kind of got where. We kind of started seeing things where maybe things weren't going to work out with Jeff. And um, it wasn't, you know, I always want to make this point because I've done a few interviews where people have asked. It wasn't a situation of, ooh, let's get Todd back so we're going to let Jeff go. It was a situation of we saw signs of potentially things not working out with Jeff. And I asked Todd, I said, are you in a position in your life now where if things don't work out with Jeff, would you be able to come on tour, he's got a 15 year old son, you know, and he, and he said, Yeah, the way everything's worked out, he goes, I'd love to do it, you know. So he's been a decent mechanic since he left the band. And he, just the other day, he said, If I don't ever see another fucking bobcat in my life, it won't be soon enough. He's <laughs> a friend of ours owns a bobcat company. But, um, so we talked, you know, it's, we, I kind of had, I always have a, in life, I always have a backup plan. It was kind of like, Okay, we're not hoping that things don't work out with Jeff or anything like that. Let's just see what happens. Let's see if things change, you know. And it just was a situation that didn't, unfortunately, didn't work out. And so, you know, it was, we decided to just let Jeff go. And Todd was like, I'm ready. So um, it worked out great. I mean, it was wonderful, you know, being on. It's just so crazy, especially seeing Matt Thomas today. It's just like, you know, I mean, she's about 51 years old. I haven't... We haven't been in a room together since I was 31. You know, I mean, that's, you know, it's great. So was it just like, did it, it's been, what, 16, 17 years? Did it feel like yeah. the time hadn't passed when you guys started jamming together the first time? Or? Pretty much, man. I mean, the first first jam was really good. We were like, wow, you know. Um, it was crazy being on, you know, being on stage last night, you know, the first time in that many years. But it's, um, it's it worked. I mean, every, I'm one of those guys, I'm, I'm, for the most part, I'm like, 
eternal optimist, you know, and I, I always try to think positive because even though my life is, you know, I'm always living with anxiety and stress and whatever else, so that's just my nutty brain. But, um, you know, I'm one of those guys that's a firm believer and everything happens for a reason. And, and you know, and, and, you know, for me, uh, and, and as a band, you know, we, Jeff Style and the band won't die. And uh, they're a great band and friends of ours, so we're really happy for him. And you know, everything happens for a reason. That may be a better fit for him. And obviously for us, we feel Todd is for us. And it's, uh, you know, in the end, everybody wins. Yeah. So this is permanent? This isn't just a touring thing? Oh, no, it's permanent. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, new album, House of Shaping Up. And- Done. Done, yeah. I saw you were like awesome. a couple weeks ago. I said you're on a mixing stage. That's done. Yeah, it's done. done. In fact, I got a text. Matt texted me. I was in the venue and he was out here last night saying, uh, producers got the final mix back and set of sounds. I mean, final master. We had we had mixed everything. He had it mastered. We went and critiqued everything and we did the running order, of the, you know, running order of the songs and the fades and all that kind of stuff. And we all agreed that the vocals were a little too low, so we bumped it up like 1.5 dB and sent it back to be remastered again. And it said everything's better. So, so do you have a date yet? Uh, it's tentatively for now, third. Oh, I'm sorry, last Tuesday in September. Our records always come out on Tuesdays, so last Tuesday in September is the tentative release. So, like, is the direction similar to Symphony Pack? I mean, I mean, you it's, guys have never really straight too far from what you do, but it's a little more to me like you know more old school, um, but fresh. You know, so okay. it's, it's more. Some of the songs to me sound like they could have been on some of the older records. It's just uh, my singing style has evolved a lot over the years, and I, I personally I like it a lot better now. Um, I guess back then I was kind of trying to find my voice for a few records, really. And um, but you know. I'm, I mean, it sounds amazing sonically. The songs, the riffs in the songs are great. It's a really strong, great album. To me, it's like a, a fresh, old crowbar record. Okay. So, you mentioned 20 years ago, and that's the Broken Glass came out. You right. guys did that tour earlier this year. Now, I remember, I didn't ever really see anything after it. It said you guys were playing tracks from it, a lot of them, or did you play the albums in entirety? No, we didn't do okay. We did like four or so, four or five. Oh, okay. But um, like tonight, we'll probably do three. Okay. But we kind of, it was kind of a thing where I realized I was just like, wow, twenty years ago. It's actually October was the release date, I believe. But I was like, wow, you know, twenty years ago is when Broken uh, Last came. And I mentioned it to to Josta, He's like, dude, it's a great idea to celebrate. It's a great album. It's one of you know one of the fan favorites. And, all that um, I was talking to Matt Thomas about it because that was the last one he played on and so we kind of said let's celebrate you know, the 20th anniversary of it and do you know some extra tracks so, like we had never done the song Broken Glass live we might have done it once or twice but it just didn't groove it didn't swing it just didn't feel right we kind of dropped that song and that's a song that people have been requesting every fucking night forever like because we have a little inside joke because we'll be like in between the song or whatever yeah somebody broken glass and I'll be like sweep it up <laughs> <laughs> but I mean every night somebody somebody screaming you know yeah. uh, broken glass we now do that track you know as well and it, it's fucking heavy as fuck have you considered ever playing anything in its entirety you know what I have and 
I remember Jimmy Bauer telling me, I think, um, um, they might have did the first record. What's the first record? The Name of Suffering? The Igon? I think they did it in its entirety. And he's like, dude, do yourself a favor. Never do one of your old, old records in its entirety. <laughs> you realize how, you know, how much you've evolved and how there's a reason you don't play certain songs a lot. Because, I mean, when a band, like, we honestly don't do anything off of Obedience to Suffering. To me, I feel like that was, um, I'm not putting it down, but to me it was a, a glorified demo tape. It was such a poor recording quality and such a low budget. And um, it's kind of like we found ourselves a lot, a lot more. We were, we were still in a transitional period with the band yeah. as far as writing. And when Crowbar Crowbar, that's kind of why we just called the second record Crowbar. Because to us, it was like our first real record. And that one still stands the test of time. And we do, like tonight, we're, we're doing, um, of course, all I had I gave. We do High Rate Extinction. We do No Quarter, which kind of reworked. It's really, yeah. really badass, man. I love it. And we do uh, we do I Have Failed, you know, as an encore. So, you know, that, that's a record from 1993. And we still do four tunes. Of course, on the Carcass Tour, we're probably going to get 40, 40 to 50 minutes. So, uh, you know, we're gonna have to strip it down and just pick like nine tunes or something. You know, which is tough when you got ten records of. Yeah, man. You try to cover a lot of ground, but there's certain songs that you have to play. You know, we can't not play Planets Collide. We can't not play All Out of Gate. And now we feel like we have. We have, not only do we love it, but we want to always play Walker Knowledge Wise. We always want to play Cemetery Angels. You know, and then you look at some of the other tracks. You know, um, and it's just it's it's like wow. Before you know it, you know. Three quarters of your set list is chewed up on stuff that people have to hear. So, what do you yeah. choose from? You know, and then a lot of times people are like, you know, well, why don't you play this one? And I'm like, I'm like, it's, and I'm, you know, it's difficult to, to explain it. We have over a hundred songs, so if we only play for an hour, an hour, and ten minutes, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, there's fucking sixty songs. I, I couldn't even tell you the name of them, one word, how to play it, or anything. More than that, probably. I mean, when you think, you know, now we're on record number 11. This is another 10 track. There's 10 tracks on this album. So we got, you know, over 110 fucking songs. Well, uh, well, yeah, Walk With Knowledge Wise, we should be in there. That, that, I think that stands out like man. anything yeah. from, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. It's a great live, too. It's yeah. one of my favorites. Well, well, is there, like, is there any band that you wish would do a certain record live that has it or anything like that? Um, I was lucky enough to see in 2006 Downplayed when we first got back together like the Diary of a Mad Band thing and all we played at the Download Festival Metallica played when we didn't know it but they played like three or four songs right off the bat you know like Sad But True and a couple of the newest stuff or whatever and uh, then all of a sudden this gigantic backdrop of Master of Puppets comes up and they didn't, he didn't even speak a word. They played the entire Master of Puppets record from front to back. Wow. And it was fucking amazing. <laughs> I actually got a pick, a Master of Puppets yeah. 20th anniversary pick from this Tech. But um, yeah, that that was that was great. Like, uh, if Carnivore was still around, I'd love to see Retaliation yeah. done from front to back. Yeah. I'd love to see the beat was still alive. I'd love to see the first. Uh, still deep and hard. Front to back is one of my little car, but retaliation is so even hard to my favorite record ever. Um, <clears throat> you know, like if the real kiss was, was around, you know, I'd love to see like Hotter Than Hell or something from front to back. You know, 
But uh, in general, I think I think it's a, a good thing to do. Like Matt, that played with Prom. What was record did y'all do back in that Yeah, Matt uh, did a tour on bass with Prom. Called him at the last minute, like, dude, can you learn uh, you know twenty songs by tomorrow? Fly to Europe, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> so um, he did that, and uh, and, uh you know, but then, you know, I think that went over well with the record. But in, in general, you know, for us. I don't, I don't see us doing the, the, the problem being is, like for Metallica, well, of course they were headlining down there fast, so they were able to not only do the entire Master of Puppets record, which albums back then weren't nearly as long as they are now anyway. Yeah. You know, even though there's some long songs on it, there's not even, what, how many songs are on there? Like eight, eight or nine? Eight, eight. Long yeah. Okay, so even though they do have some long shit, um, but still eight tracks, but they played two hours, you know. So I mean, they can they came out, did four or five tunes, did the whole fucking record, and then they continued doing, you know, shit off fucking Rod and Lightning and uh, you know, Justice and Black Album, whatever, you know. So uh, you know that that works for a band like them that can play two hours. We don't. You know. Well, you mentioned no quarter in the past twenty plus years. Have you ever heard from anyone involved with Led Zeppelin? Any I, thoughts? When we um. When we first released it, I did an interview with Burn Magazine in Japan, and apparently the guy, Jimmy Page, had heard it and thought it was good. So, but the way we do it now live is completely different than the way it is. I mean, it's the same structure, but it's a lot different. We added up, we kind of rewrote it, added a lot more harmonies. I sing it a lot more true to, you know, the original a little bit. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun. Well, I was curious, because everybody's got a different take on this, but you've been in the business long enough to see both sides. What do you think of stuff like Spotify and YouTube and all these streaming services? Um, I mean, it's good and it's bad. I mean, it's like, when I was just talking to Matt Thomas, he had so many questions. because He's been out of the game for 20 years, and when he was in, in when he left the band, it was, people still sold records. Right. This is 1996, it's before... You know, any of this kind of crap came about. I mean, people had, had, you know, computers at home, but it was in its, you know, infant stage or whatever. Microsoft Word. So, you know, um, and he was asking about stuff like that. So it's like, I mean, look, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, I mean, Matt, Matt had looked up something like... If we if, if something got played X number of some guy had like 178 million plays or whatever that's what it was or some shit like that and he got paid 5600 dollars yeah for 178 million I think I did the, the round of it like mm-hmm. this way the, the the number that it goes out to like money per play is so infinitely small like there's you can't actually do the math on yeah it's a like point there's rounding errors points and it's cents for play, I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Kind of I mean, like, we got, um, Walker Knowledge Wise, or something that played, like, 174,000 times, we got, like, $2, that was, like, 300 and something, yeah, something like thousand got, like, $2 and some change. Yeah, $2 and some change. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's like, look, if you're gonna fucking have all this stuff, it's great, but, you know, pay us. Yeah, do the right thing. You know, it's like, I mean, the only thing, um, that, you, fortunately, in my, in my opinion, Live, even though there's so much traffic out there, like we got Night Ranger, and, you know, tonight and us here, yeah, they have, what at the casinos and 
Uh, Y'all have park, casinos here? Uh, amusement park. Okay. Yeah, we've got casinos every 12 years. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we have casinos in New Orleans, but got, we have a couple of venues, IP and uh, uh, Hard Rock. Hard Rock and Biloxi. Yeah, Biloxi, which is like an hour, an hour, 15 minutes from New Orleans. Everybody plays Hard Rock. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, one thing that is, is, is still there is um, it's a live setting. And I think that everybody tours because it's the only way to make money. So there is a lot of traffic. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll be, like, I guarantee you the night we, we play, like, New York City with Carcass. There's probably 1,500 fucking shows in the area of style of music like us yeah. that people have to choose from, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, we go to a venue and we see the flyers and it's like, oh, Prong were here last night and... Fucking, I hate gotcha next week, you know, and it's kind of like the dollar only goes so far. Yeah. You know, if you're into this genre, um, you have to pick and choose. I mean, you can't go to every fucking show. Yeah. But I think that it's, you know, when you when you draw well and do a, a successful tour, I mean, it, it's a great thing. But I mean, one thing you can't download is live experience. I mean, you can, you can watch it, you know, but I mean, it's not like being there. Right. So, I mean, and it's the same thing with merchandise. You know, merchandise is so important to bands uh, because it's, it's a lot of nights it's half of our income uh, if it's a really good night of sales. That's another thing is, I mean, you can, I'm sure there's a, a way you can download a t-shirt or something, but <laughs> in, in, in reality you can. You know, so I mean, you know, if you go to the concert, you know, buy a ticket, watch the show, buy a piece of merchandise or something, you know, you've got that experience and that's something that's... You know, that lasts a lifetime. I mean, especially if you're a younger person. I mean, they were playing Judas Priest and Accept last night over the PA, and I'm like, playing Defenders of Faith. I'm like, I remember being on that tour, you know, in 85 or whatever it was, in 84. Um, my dad was actually our designated driver, so we could get drunk. He drove us to Mississippi, listen to Motorhead and Lost and shit the whole way there. Because he loved, he loves Judas Priest. So he said, he said, man, y'all can all let all y'all get fucking drunk. So we got a case of beer, a little ride there. Woo, you know, that a blast. I was, but I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to these memories from 30 plus years ago. You know, it stays with you for a lifetime, man. So that's the thing. Like, our attitude going on stage is, you know, to these people, some people have never seen us before. Some people will never see us again. Some people have waited months. Some people have waited their whole, you know, 15, 20, 30, whatever, since the band's been around. See the band, so it's like you got to give 110 percent every note, every song, every night, you know, because it really is, you know. I mean, being such music fans as we are, like Tommy as well, like his parents, when he was real young, <clears throat> he's five and six years old, seeing fucking Kiss and UFO and all these great bands. <laughs> um, his parents went to all the concerts, you know, the music lovers like to party a little bit, and they bring him along. It's back in the fucking you know 70s, man, but um. You know, shit's different now, but still, with, uh, we get a lot of fathers and bringing the sons and, and even daughters or whatever, you know, our moms and dads bringing the kids to the shows, and it's great, you know, it's really, it's awesome, it's, it's kind of come a whole generation where, you know, I'm 51 years old, you got guys my age, even older out there in the crowd, and you got kids, you know, that, that to them, you know, we're this old legendary band or some shit, and it, it, and like my stepson always jokes, like, are you popular? And I'm like, here you I say, well, to the people who are fans of the band, yes. You know, but in general, no, I'm not fucking Michael Jackson or something. But, <laughs> um, 
you know, to the people whose favorite band is Crowbar, if they're a big fan of the band or whatever, then you know, obviously, yeah, you know, to those people, I'm, I'm important. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, uh, we saw you back in the fall with Soulfly, uh-huh. and we talked to you. Then. Oh, at the Farmer's Market? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just noticed how, uh, you know, you went walking out through the crowd, and people would stop you, and you were gracious to all of them, and you were at the merch table, and you do the Christmas card thing, I mean... Uh, I think that goes a long way now. It kind of ties into what you were saying about, you know, it's kind of a different game nowadays. Yeah. Just to be that accessible, I think it's great. I mean, some people can't. Obviously, if you're a more popular person, you can't. And then at the same time, some people aren't comfortable with it. But, like, for me, now if my wife wasn't doing merch, I probably wouldn't be hanging out at merch. But it works uh, great because it's kind of like, you know, I, I usually kind of help her a little bit with it, but now my stepson came out on the store. He's he shows with carpets and all ages stuff, so you can get into all of them, maybe eighteen and all. But um, you know, I I enjoy. I'm not the kind of guy. I've always I've never been the kind of guy that just wants to sit in the dressing room or just sit on the bus or whatever. It's like I, I've always even in down at the height of down, like me and Pepper would always walk around and be like, "Come on, let's go get a beer." Let's just go check out the crowd, see what's going on. You know, we just we do the do the old trick. Uh, you know, we'd have a beer or something and finish it. We like walk up to the bar and of course someone wants to buy you a beer, so it's like, hey, sure, I'll take it. You know, like, hey man, can I buy you a beer? Sure. You, you mind taking a picture? Man? Not at all. Absolutely. If you sign this, fucking right, man, whatever. So I'm I'm just the way I am, I get kinda antsy. I like I can't just sit back and relax or whatever and then just go play. I have to be I have to like absorb the vibe of the, the show, you know. Um, and when it's a great show, you know, it gets you pumped up, you know, with the crowd and everything. And you know, you sip on some beers and get ready to rock in front, and that's that's it, man. But I I enjoy, you know, making myself accessible. I mean, pe- certain people can, and certain people, like I say, are uncomfortable doing it. And I understand that, you know. Um, I mean, somebody like Phil can't do that, you know. Um, and he, you know, he, but that he knew that. And Phil Philip always had his own dressing room, and he listened to his tunes and do his stretching thing, his workout, and all that kind of shit. He was kind of you know doing his boxing and football stuff on the computer or whatever. He, that, he had, you know, everybody's got their own way of getting ready for the show. And mine has always been hanging out, watching the other bands, you know, meeting the fans and whatever, and that that gets me ready to play. We were just telling someone this the other day. Me and him went to a show in 97 to see Machine Head. And uh, Phil was standing back by the soundboard. Oh, really? Because and no one was bothering because no one expected to see Phil. This was yeah, like yeah. in the height of Pantera. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He just came with him just to hang out. Yeah, yeah. And he nudged him in the shoulders and looked behind you. And I'm like, oh, crap, there he is. Yeah. And he but was awesome. Man. I would assume if it was down at Pantera show, he wouldn't have been standing there. So well, yeah, he can't walk in I mean, believe me, I've seen it. You know, I, I, I must say this, though. When I was in down, um, he made a point every fucking night after the show. He could be freezing cold, snow and raining, whatever. He could be sick, whatever. Anybody, you know, he would always, like when Pat Brutus first joined the band, he popped his head in the bus door and he said, he was like, Pat. He's like, yeah, man. He said, did you go sign everything and take pictures? He said, yeah, because just remember, that's part of the job. And he's great to his fans, and he, all, he always was, you know, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I'm a fan of Pantera. one of my favorite metal bands of all time, you know. 
but uh, he's always he was always you know the kind of person like after the show, the barricades and security and all, but he would always sign stuff, take pictures, especially for me reading all with the kids. Like they bring a little kid, he'll put him on his shoulders and think like he's boxing. You know, he's great with kids and shit. He's a, he's a that kind of guy. But but uh, you know, back to the original thing, he he's, he can't just at a down show or a super drug show or whatever it might be. He can't just walk out in the crowd and have a beer at the yeah. fucking bar, you know? Yeah. Well, like, I assume you've been in here, right? Soundcheck or something? Yeah, yeah. Like, that, this venue is pretty right in your face, the stage. Yeah, pretty yeah. low and everything. Do you prefer stuff like that? Do you prefer it to be a little higher or back? Do you want the crowd well, around your face? I want one or the other. It's like, I enjoy... I mean, I love the big, you know, the, 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 the high that you get... Not the kind of high that uh, I'm drunk but uh, <laughs> the high that you get off of, uh, you know, playing in front of 50,000, 60,000 people. We actually played a show. Uh, there's a German band called Bo's Uncles. They're like the biggest German band ever. We actually, uh, it's weird. They played two shows in, at a Formula One track in, uh, what, what is it, Hockenheim? Yeah. Hockenheim Ring is in uh, Formula One track in Germany. There's 120,000 people each day. And it's weird because it was... Soulfly, Limp Biscuit, and them, and then the next day it was Crowbar and Limp Biscuit, and them. <laughs> um, so we got the, and believe me, the crowd was going, Hey man, I'm about to head out, I wanted to give you guys oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 a game back. Yeah. Uh, no, I won't be able to, I'm actually going to go to jam tonight, I have actually have a show here in a few oh, okay. days, so I'm going to go jam. Yeah, 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 I'll catch you guys soon, Um. But yes, I mean, believe me, the crowd wasn't exactly going wild for us at all there for them. It's still an amazing feeling to walk out and go, oh my God, you know, this fucking, you know, sea of people. Yeah. But it's also great. I like those hot, sweaty clubs, you know, where you, not when it's out of control, where people are knocking over your gear and shit like that, right? When it's, when it's everybody's up front, you know, singing and into it. It's a, I mean, it's really, it's a great experience either way. I mean, I've, I've done everything. You know, being being in down at the, the opportunity, you know, to, to support Pantera and, and, and I mean, I'm shit to support Metallica. Um, you know, on, on a full arena tour and stuff. And you know, we've um, with with Crowbar, even we've done a lot of a lot of large open air festivals, and it's a totally great feeling, you know. But it's also like I remember when we were on tour with Heaven and Hell in Australia with them, and it was great. It was just Heaven and Hell and down. You know, it was amazing. So, that um, I was reading the magazine, like a local thing, you know, uh, about the show the next day or something. Like, if you had every other day off, like you'd fly, you do a show, there's no tour buses or anything over there. So, cities you play are all just along. There's one on the west side, Perth. Everything else is along the bottom, and then you come up on the east side by Brisbane and Sydney and all that. But you fly to all the shows. So, that's really like, every, it's normally every other day off. You play a show next day is a travel day, you know. And I, we were off at the hotel. I happened to be reading a thing, and it was an article with, with Ronnie James Dio. And he was like, "Yeah, things are going great right now with heaven and hell." He goes, "But he goes, I've done this my whole life." And he goes, um, "This is what I do, and I've loved every second of it, and I appreciate everything I've got." Because there was a point in my career where I, there was a point in my career where I was playing to 200, 300 people a night. He goes. If I have to go back and do that again, I'm still happy as long as I can do what I'm doing. And that's the way we feel. It's like, you know, obviously we're not going to headline a fucking uh, arena or 50,000 open air 
know, stadium show, but we still get on the bills, you know, so we still get to experience it. And each year we do play it, we move up a little higher on the, you know, a little later in the day or whatever. Um, as, as certain bands that are headliners, I mean, unfortunately, you got you know, a situation like, like Motorhead, which is one of my favorite bands of all time, not a when you passed away. It's like there's, there's a headliner that every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Europe, every fucking summer, they headline somewhere. They would play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, go back to England, chill, fly back, you know, and whatever. They make a home base and just, you know, play, play the festivals all weekend. Make a fuckload of cash and headline them all. I mean, unfortunately, bands retire. You know, people pass away. But I mean, it, it does enable a band like us that's been around for a long time to move up. You know, a little, a little bit uh, in one of these situations. But I mean, we're cool with this. This is fine. You know, as long as there's a proper stage, proper PA and monitors, enough to 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 give you a show. You know, that's worth your money. And we're happy to play, man. Why not? So start little hot, sweaty fucking place or a big-ass over-there stadium or a fucking arena or whatever. Yeah. Well, so, I know you mentioned the real kiss of that. So, you're probably not a big fan of Tommy Thayer's version of Ace? Um, actually, I think he does a great job. And I'll, or just I'll, the fact that he's doing it? Well, I'll quote Ace. Ace is like, hey, he goes, I got nothing against the guy. He goes... The only thing I don't like is he calls himself the real spaceman and all this kind of shit, which pisses me off. But Tommy Faye is a great guitar player. I was a big yeah. fan of Black and Blue. I actually saw Black and Blue open up for Kiss at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana, but in the No Makeup Day, like on Asylum or one of those albums. Yeah. And um, Tommy's a great guitar player, man. I think he does a great job. And Ace even said, he goes, if it wasn't him, it'd be somebody else. Why would right. I hate this guy? You know, just because, you know. But he, he goes, I don't like the way. I mean, he's got his own. Spaceman model guitar and all this yeah. kind of it's like, dude, it's Ace fucking Freely, okay? I'm sorry. And, I, and that's the one thing, because I'm a huge and I'm extremely loyal Kiss fan since I've been fucking like 11 years, 10 or 11 years old, you know, 75, 1976. It's like, I don't buy anything that's got fake Ace and fake Peter. And it's like, the problem, the pro, my, my thing is, and believe me, you know, I, I respect the fuck out of, out of Paul Stanley after reading his book. It's an amazing book. Never get a chance. It's very worth reading, um, and I respect Gene, of course, for everything that that he's done. And I don't blame them for doing what they're doing at all. But the problem is, some somebody somewhere I was reading an article, or maybe even on, on like Facebook, and somebody made an extremely valid point. It's like we didn't grow up loving the demon, the cat man, the star child, and the fucking spaceman. We grew up loving Ace, Gene, Peter, and Paul. Yeah. And it's like we love. Nobody can, you know, if it was like a mask, like like Slipknot or something, you know, where like, um, or just if it was a any kind of thing like that, like war, for instance, it's yeah. like people, of course, you know, it's horrible with Dave Rocky and the other fella too. Who was the other guitar player? Yeah, that passed away and all. But for a, a band like that that can recreate characters or whatever, you know, it's a show and it's, it's different. People people are fans of the. The show and the characters, as well as the music, but not necessarily the individuals behind the costume. Where, I mean, that's my opinion. Whereas with the original Kiss, you know, of course there was a mystique because we didn't know what they looked like, you know, and all of that shit, which was the first band ever to do that. It was amazing that there was never, you know, of course you could never get away with that now. Yeah. I mean, why even try? You know, <laughs> can't take a shit, but I'm somebody videotaping you. 
<laughs> well, that's why it didn't take long for Slipknot to just get out of their masks. It's not a big deal. Yeah, well, of course. Of course. I mean, it's not, but I mean, it, it's it's still it would still work if, you know, like if you had a a certain mask and a, and a number or whatever as opposed to like, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not that knowledgeable on Slipknot. I've played quite a few shows with him and I think they're a great man and I really love uh, Corey Giles, a killer fucking singer and, and his solo stuff and all too. But, um, I mean, originally it started out just as numbers, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I mean, yeah, so I mean, that's that's brilliant in its own right. And like, Tommy's a collector of all the uh, little figures. Yeah, he loves Slipknot and shit, so it's brilliant marketing as well, you know, but I mean, uh, for the, with the original Kiss, it's just, it, it was a phenomenon that only lasted a few years, and it's amazing that they really only were, were really popular like 76 to 79 but I happened to be 11, 12 13, 14 years old in that period so that was in my life my life was kissed that was it yeah so I mean I was a little kid that was fascinated my walls were covered I mean I'm not lying floor to ceiling the whole ceiling that was I even had my light switch in my room was a picture of Gene like this and I put the light switch on his cod piece like it was his dog I'm serious like I cut the little (laughs) hole for so but there was not, you could not see any fucking drywall, sheetrock, whatever, popcorn <laughs> shit. It was nothing but fucking, it wasn't all Kiss, but mainly Kiss. But I mean, that was, I would draw, I would draw East Freely pictures and Gene Simmons pictures and send them to fucking, mail them to the fan club. And me and my friend Steve Palmette went on tour one summer, which meant like every night we'd sleep at, at each other's house. Like we'd spend, spend, uh, you know, Monday night at Steve's, we spend Tuesday night at my house, and we make like his sister, and we make my mom and dad watch it. We, we put on makeup and outfits and shit, and play tennis rackets, and we put on, we were on tour to us, we were putting on our makeup, listening to music, getting ready for the concert. I had a fucking milk crate with a drumstick in it, and a fake microphone we made out of cardboard taped to it, and that was my mic stand. And like, if I was Gene, or what, you know, we take turns being a different guy, and we had our tour one summer. We went and bought fucking, um, like leggings, you know, we had, I had my mom's clip-on earrings, these little, like, danglings. You know, of course, we had short hair and everything. We had real guitar picks we bought from uh, the department store. We used to sell, like, these little $50 cheap guitars and shit. We bought guitar picks to strum on the strings of the tennis racket and shit. <laughs> well, maybe they had Tommy and Eric have different makeup, you know? Well, it, but then, it, yeah, I mean, in a way, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, but, I mean, I've seen them. In fact, we played with them at Hellfest. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw them in New Orleans. And, um, I mean, the thing is, is what do, you, what do you do? Like, what happens if Eric leaves for some crazy reason? <laughs> I mean, you can end up with a fucking, like, Paul Stanley was saying with Eric Carr's first outfit. It was supposed to be some kind of hawk or some shit. He came out like a dude looks like he's a fucking fried chicken commercial. Like, some feathers in some, like, you know, chicken suit or something with some beak on. And he was like, we were, like, it was sad, but we were laughing. And, like, please, can we come up with a better, con- you know, concept? I mean, it's like, if you have revolving members, what are you, you know, what are you going to have? I mean, it's like, like, I saw the village people are playing, and I'm like, well, it can't be any of the real guys. But, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a character thing. And, I mean, whatever. But, well, both of them have already mentioned now that they're going to... There'll be eventually a kiss with, with no kiss, yeah. With neither Gene or Abe. Now, see, I would, I mean, I would prefer that in the, in the sense that if a band was to put on the show and all the great music that Kiss made, 
and do it. Like Paul said, at some point there's going to be a young guy that's going to sing it better than I do and whatever. And he's right, you know. I think I would I would like it better if they just had Kiss and it was just four dudes that played their asses off and sang great and put on the same fucking gigantic show. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not, I'm sorry, when you took the makeup off and you had Bruce and Eric and then poor Eric passed away, when you had Eric Singer come in and all that, the band was great. I saw him on every one of them tours multiple times. The band was great. I loved everything, but Hot in the Shade was 11. I couldn't. That was too big. But, uh, <laughs> crazy nights. Crazy, but I, lo- I like Crazy Nights. Nice. That's killer. No. Oh, yeah, fool. Oh, somebody <laughs> fucking give me a straight word. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I loved it. But you know what? It didn't make a difference because they weren't trying to be Ace and Peter. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's the difference. When they came back with the original reunion. I actually like the, the Seattle record, bro. The, uh, oh, uh, Carnival of Souls. Yeah, it's heavy. Oh, it's good. Like the uh, Seattle record. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Tommy it Day actually wrote two songs when I would uh, achieve it. Yeah, like Vinny Vincent started writing with him before he was in the in the band. Yeah. The second I heard fucking... <laughs> fucking uh, Ace did off of Lick It Up on that solo record. It was on uh, I didn't even know. Like, he's not even on that. He does, he, I know he does. Like, Parasite, the there's no talent. <laughs> I remember seeing him at the Superdome on, you know, with uh, yeah, Vinny I, Vincent. That was my first time. I, I missed him. First yeah. time ever, I couldn't go. That was on the right, Creatures of the Night. Ten years old, my mom and dad were yeah. letting me go. Fuck See, I was a senior <laughs> in high school, so like, we all went, went out to the show. <laughs> it was it was Monday Gras, the day before Mardi Gras. And I remember fucking seeing him at the dome, you know. Uh, Paul, of course, he's you know making this up, but he's like, yeah, you know, I'm talking about Vinnie Vincent. He goes, so I let all y'all know, you know, it's, I talked, I was talking to Ace the other day, and he, he says hello to everybody, you know, and all this kind of shit. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you know, you know, who knows? I mean, did you see the new video? Yeah. Um, with Ace and Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, I mean, when you when you read these guys' books, or when you when you read interviews and see interviews and all. They don't hate each other. It's just shit. It's a relationship that didn't work out. They're too, they're too much, too different. Person, you know, personality-wise, yeah. there's too much difference probably for them to work out. I mean, what Ace thinks is right, Gene thinks is wrong, and vice versa. I know what it is. Rock and roll hell. Yeah, take that out. I had to say that. Rock and roll hell. So yeah. obviously, he must have something to do with the writing of that. He might have. Yeah. But I mean, fuck it. Yeah. See, the you second I heard Creepers in the Night, I knew it wasn't Ace. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, know the fuck it was But they put him on the cover. Yeah. Have you well, heard that cover album? Yeah, it's, Tommy got it's it from the Christmas. Yeah, I was killing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, man, check this shit out. I was like, I heard you on the Kirk, too. I'm like, I'm on two guys. I'm like, dude. The best part about it is we're on the same label. We could have got it for free. Yeah. I'm like, I just did an interview with a guy from Sacramento and he was telling me there's a store right there at a venue. He said he would text it to me that has over 120,000 vinyls. Wow. That's a record store right there at a venue. He's like, I don't know if you're going to have any time, but once we start off with Carcass, we're not even going to sound check. 
We're gonna like load in. Yeah, exactly. Catch a fucking cab or something. I mean, I got about a hundred some finals now. Working turntable. Yeah, well, turntable that works. Well, we got that old. We, we bought a Yeah, last time we, we bought a 1968 yeah, yeah. Magnavox thing. We'd probably get one of those new things that you can burn. You can play the record, but it also burns into a desk. Okay. Uh, yeah, like we want a proper stereo to like listen to shit on. You know. Yeah. I mean, all I have right now is a little portable CD player, other than a computer. Portable CD player with computer. Dude, it's great. That's how yeah. I roll all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody laughs. I don't even have an iPod. I have a fucking disc. Well, I don't have anything. Disc, iPod two or... disc booklets and fucking headphones. And when I'm at home, I got like fucking four. I got two towels and two big old giant speakers with 15s. I got four speakers. And there's 18 speakers in those four speakers. There's 18 fucking yeah. speakers. And dude, that was hooked up to it. Fucking. Portable yes, yes. I have a killer like five or something dollar receiver, and I got the disc and plugged into the back of the receiver. That's how I play CDs too. I fucking bash through that. It's like a little rigged up Jimmy Rig stereo. Like the other night, I came home from rehearsal and Robin had on, you know, the cable channel like. Texted her, email, I got this email, I'm telling this, blah, 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 we're doing business shit. So we're not listening to in the car. But at home, like the other morning, we did some house cleaning, organized a bunch of shit, and I put on the Macaulay Shanker uh, record. Yeah, that's it. We got it. We got that and uh, UFO uh, BBC session. Amazing. So have you built up the vinyl collection since you got the turntable last year? Um, well, I lost all my vinyl, not in Katrina, but in 1995. We had a big flood in New Orleans. I probably had like 400 or so vinyl. A lot of rare shit. And I lost all of that in that flood. I was trying to play that. Yeah, I making the down record. So I never, and of course, CDs were coming in. So I was like, well, fuck it, vinyl's out. But now that it's really making a comeback, you know. That was a time when you couldn't even buy a turntable unless it was some DJ thing yeah. or music <laughs> store, you know. I mean, people just weren't listening to vinyl. But now, I, think, I mean, I think that I like the thing anyway, uh, that it's a positive thing. You know, that young kids want to experience, like when I was a kid, you know, we had, I mean, the album cover meant so much. Yeah. Like, I always thought of this in a way, like Led Zeppelin House of the Holy. I read some, somebody said something. It was another musician, you know, some big you know, guy in a big man or something, reading an article in a guitar magazine or whatever, and he goes, this may sound stupid, but how's the holy record? It sounds orange to me because of the cover. And I was like, you know what? I get what he's saying. It's like, you totally, that's why the early Iron Maiden covers and shit. It's like, when Power Slave came out, I didn't like the cover because it was blue. It was like, it wasn't heavy. It wasn't dark enough, you know, but like, you used to like visualize, like it had a connection to what the record sounded like and the experience of listening to the record. I mean, I always laid on the bed with my headphones, blasting, reading the lyrics. I mean, I knew who wrote every song, who produced every fucking record, who managed every band, whatever was in the liner notes. You know, I, mean, I realized that was an era where people used to 
five records with just the way the album cut it looked. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, fucking like, thought it looked yeah. cool, and he was like, dude, I got yeah. it. buy it. I wouldn't do that nowadays. You gotta be selective in how you spend your money. You, you, put all, you put all this fucking shit on a little fucking thing this big, you <laughs> can't even read it with fucking, you know, it's like, you know, it was an experience, so, especially like a gatefold record, you know, you open yeah. it up, like Kiss Alive 2 or oh, something, wow. live one, you know. Live one. Yeah, and, and you, you open the shit up, you got, yeah, you're really looking like, at the book while you're listening, looking at the posters, you know, it's like... It was a, it was a whole experience that is just not there anymore, and hopefully, final, you know, kind of making a comeback. Because it's time, man. It's time for fucking, you know. It, it's a different. It does sound different. No fucking doubt about it. It sounds warmer. It sounds better. There's a certain sound to it, you know. And that's just that. That's the way it is, man. So hopefully, the final thing really takes off. You know, not just as a fan, but as a Position in this business as well, as far as trying to sell product. Yeah, it's difficult to sell CDs. I don't give a fuck who you are. Yeah. Are you releasing the new album on vinyl? Oh, I'm they, sure. Well, yeah. they they, uh, they released Crowbar Crowbar on like a swirl, like a yellowish, orange, red type, you know, colors on a special edition thing on vinyl, and they did uh, Symmetry of Black. It's like a black and gold. Like, uh, Saints colors kind of vinyl yeah. or something so um, I'm sure we will like our uh, one of the main guys uh, Scott Gibbons at our uh, our uh, labor was you know speaking with him at one of the shows and, and he said he's like yeah man because he, he said he was really into the idea of vinyl and he finally got you know I guess you know guy above him would have to agree like yeah it's a good idea to put these things out on vinyl like I have the eight stuff to send me you know vinyl and shit we had one assigned poster with Ace and all these on the same label, like Black Label Society's on the one side, like Elizabeth Ohio Fire. Um, so it's, it's a great label, man. It was great. But yeah, it should be all right. Do you have a name? Or have you announced that? I can't say it. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's worth a shot. <laughs> I'll get stabbed if I didn't even try something. No, we're, we're, we're waiting for you know proper press release. There you go, Kirk Winston from Crowbar, and of course, formerly of Down. Just an amazing opportunity for us again. We'd love to thank uh, Bill Mize from E1 Music for setting that up. And, of course, Robin for, you know, helping us out. And, and of course, Kirk for being willing to do it again. And not only that, you know, he spent close to an hour. It was like 50 minutes yeah. recorded there, you know, and a little before and after. And that's like, that's probably the longest one we've ever recorded with someone on the that's on the road, you know. Because yeah. normally they've got stuff to do, you know. Either sound, yeah, stuff going on. Before, you know, sound check or getting ready for the show and all that. So, really cool that he spent that much time. And, of course, thanks to... Tommy and Matt for chiming in as well. That's right. And and uh, hey, Kirk wore a Thunder Underground shirt for a little bit. That's true. That was awesome. Yeah, we've got a picture of that on Instagram. <laughs> yes. So that's our that's our claim to fame now, right? And not a bad one. <laughs> no. But we didn't even really mention in the, the early part of this, the show itself, other than we just said we're glad we got to go. I mean, that was just, 
punishing set, you know, bad. Oh music, yeah, I mean, the, the, it was just crushing. Yeah, uh, and you know, we got to see him play a little longer, and uh, the sound was just crystal clear. I mean, it was just great. Yeah. And it was uh, just a great vibe, you know. Everybody was moshing, getting crazy. It was a good night. Yeah, yeah. I love the way that place. You you walk into Thunder Alley for the first time, and you're like, "What?" It just <laughs> it just looks like a, you know, not to say anything bad. It just looks like a big room, and you're like, yeah. "This isn't built for music." Yeah. But somehow it just works. The space, you know, they've got the stage angled in the corner, facing out, and everything we've seen i mean it's only a second show we saw battle cross there with some bands opening and yeah every set we've seen has all sounded great so yeah. they've got they've got something going on there i mean it, the only downfall is it's hotter than hell yeah <laughs> in yeah. the middle of summer but yeah but when crowbar when crowbar's on stage i didn't mind the heat yeah you forget about the heat that's when right you get those sweet riffs from kirk <laughs> <laughs> well like we mentioned Kirk's been on here before. Get on our soundcloud.com backslash thunder dash underground. There's a, it's one of the top ones there on the spotlight. I forgot the number off the top of my head. But we've also had Chris Broderick on here. We've had, I'll get completely opposite in from me here. We've had uh, Shooter Jennings on the podcast. That's right, yeah. That's a really cool one because I know a lot of metal people love the Outlaw Style Country as well. That's right. And just to flip complete switch, we've had guys from Warrant in Europe. Yeah. And we've got. <laughs> Two recorded now with Mark Torian from Bullet Boys and Mark Gus Scott from Trickster. There you go. Getting total glam on you guys. <laughs> and I know there's some Crowbar fans that might be like, what? But hey, we've had guys from Battlecross, yeah. Insight. Who else have you got? Uh, Sid Falk from Overkill. Oh, yeah. That's uh, as cool as it gets right there. Friends. Yeah. you know, Like you said a minute ago, uh, Chris Broderick, Active Defiance. CJ Pierce from Johnny yeah. Pool. Ryan and Tim from Soil. That's right. Um Oh, Wino from the Obsessed and Spirit Caravan. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah, that that was really cool. And you know, we've had if you're listening, like we talked about Smoke Offering, we've had those guys on. We've had a lot of local and regional people on, like Severmind and Driver, and, uh, Blackwater Rebellion. I could you know, Fist of Rage. Yeah, uh, Rocket Science. Uh, Chad Malone from Senior Fellows. Uh, Dave Cantrell, right? Uh, Oklahoma Braves, you know Steve oh, Ray. Yeah. We've had all those regional guys on there, local guys. Speaking of Steve Ray, we need to get him back because we th- had him. I think so. We had him on pretty early, and <laughs> you know, before we completely found our way and were confident to just like start throwing questions around, you know. So <laughs> that's right. I would love to have him back on as well. I'm yeah, definitely. So if he's listening, hit us back up, or I'll hit him up. That's right. You should. <laughs> we will. It'll yes. happen. Yes. So be on the lookout soon for new Crowbar album that comes out, I believe he said, the last week of September. So we're just a couple months away now. Yeah, we're waiting for it. And you know it'll be a good one because these guys, they don't put out anything that's not good. Yeah. You know, in the history of Crowbar. Exactly. All right. Well, we got anything else to ramble about? No, I think we're done, man. All right. <laughs> well, this was episode 79, Kirk Winstein. Thanks again to E1 Music and Crowbar. Till next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.